runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 160 with guest Laura Chapel. Recorded Friday, May 14th, 2010. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you very much, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. With me, as always, my co-host, Greg Hughes. Hey, Richard. What's going on? Ah, you know, spring is in the air. The barbecue is up and running, and all the important things are happening. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, the last couple of days here have just been beautiful. The, it's like everything is just, you know, you hit those first couple of days where you realize it's really and truly come. Yeah, it's fine. finally the dark times are over, and I feel dumb for working in my my uh, office all the time. <laughs> yeah. But I'm still I'm still virtualizing out my own rack bit by bit, shutting down all the old hardware and getting everything into a pair of big servers so that I can uh, simplify my network. Cool. Well, seems to be the way of things. Yes, and uh, System Center Virtual Machine Manager is my friend. <laughs> well, cool. Very good. Yeah, it's all good. Let us dive right in. We got a fun show today. I'm really looking forward to it here. Let me introduce our guest. Laura Chapel is the founder of the Wireshark University, and Chapel University has been analyzing network traffic for 20 years now. Yes, she has gray hairs. <laughs> she is a top-rated speaker at numerous industry conferences, including Microsoft's TechEd Conference and various law enforcement conferences. She's a voting member of the IEEE and an active member of the High Technology Crime Investigation Association. In March, Laura released the ultimate 800-page book on network analysis using Wireshark and is finalizing the upcoming Wireshark Certified Network Analyst Exam for release by the end of second quarter of 2010. She has two teenage kids, can't cook without a fire extinguisher, and is thankful that she can order in. <laughs> Welcome, Laura. Hey, Laura. Well, thanks very much. It's uh, great to join both uh, you and uh, Greg this morning. Now, I remember when Wireshark was ethereal. You have gray hair also then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that tells me. Yeah, yeah. And I remember having to <laughs> adjust the programming on switches to be able to use Ethereal properly. Like, oh, boy, I get chills just thinking about that. Yeah, and you know, interestingly enough, there are still folks working with those same switches and uh, working as hard as they can to get the spanning and the mirroring working right so they can get the traffic. So, But, you know, it's um, it's been a great place to be for the last 20 years, and uh you know, analysis is never boring, so hopefully I'll fill you in on some really cool stuff today. So we better take a step all the way back. For the folks that are out there that have not used Wireshark, what's it about? All right, Wireshark is a, in the simplest terms, it's a sniffing tool. You load it on your own machine, and you can sniff your own traffic, and that way you can see how applications are running. You might be able to see if you have some background traffic that might be, you know, phone home traffic from some application, and you could see why your network communications might be slow. So in its at its very essence, it is a packet sniffing tool, and it's used primarily for troubleshooting, uh, security, optimization by looking at the network. It's the x-ray machine for network communications. Now, the biggest problem I see most people have with this is that it's actually a uh, an, an overabundance of data that when you actually look at the raw stream coming out of the network, it's so much stuff. How do you sort it all out? Uh, 
you know, that's the, that's the needle in the haystack problem that we always talk about because people that are getting new into network analysis, they, they know they can go to Wireshark.org and they can download this free open source tool. They load it on their system, they fire up their machine, and then they log in, and then they web browse, and then they do this, and then they do that, and then they look at the traffic, and they throw up and decide, I can't do this, and they shut it down because it's just an overload. And so much of that can be helped by realizing that when you're going to analyze communications, you need to separate it out. You need to really focus in on one thing. So if you want to understand what your login process looks like, you begin the analysis process, then you log in, and then you stop the analysis process, and you look at just that one section of your communications. When you're starting out, just to sort of piecemeal it, you know, start Wireshark going and then browse to a website and then stop Wireshark. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to see exactly what it took to get to that website. And then as you become more and more familiar with your typical communications for the types of things you do, you can look at a big fat trace file with this huge spaghetti mess of communications and you can really begin to separate it out by saying, oh, okay, I recognize that. That's my virus detection tool doing its update. I've seen that before. Oh, look, that's what it looks like when I log in. I recognize that. Oh, that's, that's me going to this website. The other thing is when people are starting out, get used to the idea of running Wireshark on your own system and don't, don't go into like the middle of the infrastructure and say, I want to capture all the traffic on the whole entire network as much as I can feed to my system. Sure. You know, it's a, it's a typical thing people do because they just, ah, oh, their eyes are open. They want to see it all. And so they start capturing it all. And the next thing they've got, you know, 780 gigs of packets and they've lost all their social life and they have no sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just awful. And you just see them being so overwhelmed when it's really, it's, it's very logical. Communications are so logical. The best way to start is start grabbing your own traffic and just browse to a website. You'll see your TCP handshake and then you'll see the get request and then you see the response. And, you know, it's just very logical, but taking it, you know, piece by piece so you don't hit that big, you know, haystack issue is so important to keep going with us. So doesn't Wireshark help you sort out these chunks of data as well? It, it understands certain fingerprints of certain applications? You know, it, it does. It has dissectors in it where it can break out the traffic, but it also has capture filters that allow you to say, you know, I don't want to capture everything. I'm only interested in looking at the broadcast traffic that's coming from my workstation or the broadcast traffic that's coming down the switch. So I can say in Wireshark, I can start up and say, okay, let's just look at the broadcast traffic right now. Or I can start up and say, I'm really only interested in looking at the DHCP communications right now. Or I just want to look at web browsing traffic. We can apply filters. We can apply filters before we capture traffic. Or if we did go get the big spaghetti mess, and I'll use an example here of of working on a SharePoint network. Whoa, you talk about the ultimate spaghetti, multicolored spaghetti. Hmm. It's unbelievable to see all the different ports and applications that are part of a full SharePoint implementation. And you, you capture all this. And one beautiful thing I love to use in Wireshark when I'm working in the SharePoint environment is you've got so many different TCP connections in SharePoint. You've got so many conversations going on that you can look at a conversation in Wireshark and you can right mouse click and say, I want to colorize that. Let's colorize that this light purple color. Oh, look, okay, that conversation is now very distinct in my in my Wireshark screen. Oh, but look, there's another connection established right after it. Well, let's change that to a sort of a peach color. So we take something like a very complex communication that's that spaghetti type of thing, and we can colorize the conversations. We can pull out a single conversation out of the whole entire spaghetti mess and say, I only want to focus on that. Um, 
we can do all sorts of things to pull apart the spaghetti strands bit by bit to figure out, okay, which spaghetti strand is it that I'm having a problem with? Which one is really showing us that? And then, like you said, you know, there's things in Wireshark where it can help you figure out where there are problems. So it has an expert notification system in it. So somebody goes and captures a bunch of traffic. In the bottom left-hand corner on Wireshark, there's this little round button, this color-coded button. And if you click that, a window pops up and it says, hey, these are the areas I think that might be a problem. You have mm-hmm. X amount of packet loss. You have duplicate uh, um, acknowledgments. You've got some retransmissions. You've got some some systems that are um, are advertising a zero window size, which means don't talk to me. Um, so we can mm-hmm. go through and tell you, hey, pay attention to some of these things when you're when you're working. Uh, some of these things might be a problem. So it has a lot of capability to help um, the new analyst and the experienced analyst when they're working with a lot of traffic. So. Do you, you typically attach Wireshark to a given NIC? Uh, what you what you do is let's say let's say I'm loading it on a, a laptop, and typically people do load Wireshark on a laptop because it's a mobile process. We like to move around the network because ideally, when Fred complains, you know every network has Fred, the user from hell, and Fred's going to complain. Oh, it's really really slow when I'm working today. I don't I don't like it. We like to be as close to Fred as possible when we capture our traffic. So what we do is we load it on our laptop and. Wireshark will list on the main start page on the left-hand side. It'll show you all the interfaces it recognizes on your laptop. And you can click on any one of those interfaces to start capturing on those interfaces, whether they're wired or wireless. Now, what you can get off of wireless really depends on the capability of the driver and the card that you have in the wireless environment. Um, But over on the Wireshark book website, I did a video on testing your adapters to see what can I get in traffic with this adapter? This is how you test an adapter. So as long as Wireshark can see the adapter, it can capture traffic from that adapter. Whatever that adapter passes up, Wireshark will handle. Right. So, you know, we typically say get as close to Fred as you can. And uh, if you have to use a full duplex tap to listen in on full duplex communications, that's one way to do it. Another is just to span a port off of that switch, copy stuff to and from Fred's workstation down to yours. So I'm thinking now in terms of what I could do for wireless with this as well, because when I think about troubled networks, I usually think about wireless. Does, does Wireshark no. get into some of the you know, channel conflicts and that sort of stuff? Absolutely. You know, poor wireless. It gets such a bad Well, I, I think it's just abused <laughs> by so many people. You know, they, everyone, especially in the enterprise or sort of the SMB market, where you think you can just buy yourself a little Linksys WRT54G, throw it in there, and handle 100 uh, laptops and wonder why oh. it breaks down. You know, the, those little home units just haven't got the guts. Yeah, you know what? They're just not there. And um, we sort of shifted in the wireless environment to... We were very excited about it, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is simple. Just plug it in, and it will work, and right. everything will be great. And, and you know, in, in wireless, just like in the wired environment, we're, we're really blind to what's going on, and that's the beauty of packet analysis. It allows us to see what's going on. So in the wireless environment, let's say I'm sitting at my Windows system, and I've got a Windows 7 box sitting here. I'm running 64-bit Windows 7. I can load Wireshark on that machine, and the first thing I do on a new machine when it when I get it and I run, run Wireshark is... I go ahead and I say to Wireshark, well, let's just capture on the wireless interface, my native wireless interface. Tell me what you can see. Now, most, a, a lot of wireless cards out there will be able to go into promiscuous mode, which means I can listen to traffic going to other hardware addresses, and that's great. And that's what we use in the wired environment. But the wireless world is a little different. 
we want a network adapter that will go into what we call monitor mode. Mm-hmm. And monitor mode means that when my adapter is set in monitor mode, it will not join any service set. It will not be part of any wireless network, which means that that card can pick up traffic on everybody's wireless network that I can see. Any wireless packets that are within range will be picked up. So most cards out there, though, won't go into monitor mode. And it's, it's been one of the things where you can talk to the, the card manufacturers and say, come on, you know, let's get a, let's get a, a monitor mode driver for your card. Can't you do that? And they, they don't see the monetary advantage of doing that. So there's um, the guy who created Wireshark is Gerald Combs. And he created it originally, of course, as a serial. He works at a company called Case Technologies, and that's spelled C-A-C-E, Case Technologies. And they have uh, put out an adapter that's specifically made to work on Windows systems. It's called an Air PCAP adapter. It does not join any service set. And while you're in Wireshark, you can move from channel to channel to channel with that one adapter and capture all the traffic. It goes into monitor mode. Wow. And it goes into promiscuous mode. It's well worth it. I have three of them hanging off of my machine, so I can simultaneously listen to three channels at one time. Which doesn't sound like a normal thing to do at all, Laura. Like, What are you up to? <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, you go... You know, here we go to so many uh, wireless networks where they're following the rules of their network is running on channel 1, 6, and 11. They've right. got three, you know, channels running simultaneously. And for me, when I'm doing analysis of their network and they're complaining about performance, I don't want to have to listen in on one channel and be blind to the other. Right. And then walk the floor and listen to channel 6 and be blind to 1 and 11 and then go to 11. So what I do is I have all three adapters hanging off of the USB hub and I start up Wireshark and I choose Automatically, when you have these three adapters going, you have a new option saying the Air PCAP aggregator. And that means you want to capture on all three at the same time. Right. And then with that filtering capability that we talked about earlier, you can then go in and say, okay, I'm going to sit and focus only on everything that happened on Channel 6 first. Let's just look at the Channel 6 traffic. And uh, you know what? It just saves me so much time rather than do a single channel analysis at a time. And there's a there's an, another product from the folks at MetaGeek, if you're familiar with them, hmm. MetaGeek.net, they have a Wi-Spy adapter. And I use that to look at the RF signals around me. Before I even get to packet level, I want to know RF signals around me. Do we have any interference? Right. Do we have any noise? Yeah, that, this and is that, exactly the product I was looking for when you were talking about this because the, the biggest one was the, the leaky microwave oven. Everybody's oh, oh. network connection fails when somebody heats up a cup of coffee. Yep, and you know, we even, um, on doing the Wireshark book, when I got to the wireless chapter, you cannot focus just on the packets in the in the wireless world, like you really can in the wired world. Right. In the wireless world, you've got to look for everything else other than what we see as, you know, 8 or 2, 11 packets. So I put in a piece in there about um, how these MetaGeek adapters do what they do, and then on the website, on wireshark.com, I actually put my recordings up there so people can see what my Xbox looks like when I turn it on? What does my um, Uniden phone look like when I turn it on? Yeah. What does this microwave look like? And we did a, um, a microwave cook-off last December where we went and we bought a bunch of microwave ovens and we told this company we were designing a house. And we threw popcorn in each one of those, popcorn bags in each one, and we popped the popcorn in each one one at a time and then walked up to uh, 50 feet away from the microwave to see, you know, how bad is this is this interference, and is this going to hit us on only channel one? Is it going to hit us on channel six? What are each of these microwaves doing? 
and the most expensive microwave, which I absolutely love, it's a beautiful microwave, um, turned out to be the most hideous on the wireless network. It was just nailing the signal, and it went across every single channel. Wow. Oh, my gosh, because a lot of times microwaves will kind of stay around the lower frequencies. So you know that your local access point probably ought to be moved up to 6 or 11, and you'll be just fine when people heat up their coffee. But this this thing nailed every single channel, and I walked, I had this long cord, and I could get up to 50 feet away, and I did not see any difference by walking 50 feet away. The signal was just so strong, and you knew that this poor company I was at when we were testing this. It's like, oh, sorry, your wireless network is down right now, but this is a really good test. <laughs> <laughs> well, the biggest one for me is conf- is two or three access points of different offices all on the same floor, all on the same channel. Yep, exactly. And that's so common. Right. Gosh, I get, to go, I get to go to Vegas this Sunday to do some wireless work uh, in some casinos which is fascinating because a lot of the, the casino machines now are getting their programming through a wireless communication. Right. And they're just, you know, at the drop of a dime, drop of a dime, um, drop of a billion dollars, they should be able to swap over their stats really fast. But what they're finding is that these machines are not being updated in a timely enough fashion. And these casinos are losing a lot of money. Well, we'll see what's happening with their wireless communications. But, you know, I know I've been to this casino just a few months ago just to do a little prep work. And what I saw was that every single access point in the entire casino is on the same channel. Right. Yeah. And they're, and, all, it's just, and they're all wrestling with each other. And they're, it's just total saturation. Yep. And it's with the food service information. Um, they've got lots of interference from, you know, those exit signs you have for the emergency exits? Yeah. They've got a lot of these exit signs where as you walk under the exit sign, uh, you get this huge amount of noise coming straight down. At you, it doesn't go to the side, doesn't sort of fan out, but straight down. Interesting. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting as signals are passing underneath those, they're getting mangled. So, well, and, and and the terrible thing about the wireless situation is anybody can poison it. You can architect everything flawlessly, and somebody wanders in with a jacked up access point and takes that channel out. Yep. You know, it's still to this day, I don't care what anybody says. There's no such thing as a secure wireless network, whether it's a malicious person coming in and bringing in a jamming tool. You can get great jamming tools in in Germany, you know. It's totally illegal, but somebody can come in and jam your network, or somebody can simply walk in with a $10 Uniden phone from Target and and turn that thing on and walk through your floor and nail every one of the lower uh, frequencies. Or, like you said, a lousy, a poorly configured access point, one that is just set for signal strength as high as it can be, and it yep. just screams bloody murder and destroys the network communications, yeah. And in when we look at the packet level, what we see is, you know, we can see this stuff with the MetaGeek tool. We can see, oh, you know, we've got this thing that's just killing us, and as we walk around, we can see the signal get stronger, so we can tell, you know, where it is. We can move closer to it. But when we get to the packet level, what we see, if we never looked at the signal, what we see at the packet level is we see this one bit set in the frame control field, which is the retry bit. It's not a TCP retransmission here. We're talking about an 802.11 retransmission, and there's a single bit. So on Wireshark, when I'm running it on a wireless environment, I set this coloring system up so that every time a packet has the retry bit set, it's this butt-ugly orange background color. You know, orange to me is the color that just makes me want to retch. So for me, those are my big, important packets that come up. I'm streaming. I'm watching all this stuff flying by, 
And when I start walking to an area where the packets are getting mangled, all of a sudden my packets are flying by and they become orange. And then I walk away and they go back to their other colorizations for the protocol. And then I walk closer and it's orange, 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 orange. So I know that right there I've got something that's mangling the packets and we have these retransmissions. It's interesting. It's, yeah. It's fascinating. You know what? It's, it's playing a game. It's just, it's, uh, it's all like playing a game and it's just a matter of figuring out the solution. Well, and, and, and great tip about that retry bit because it's so difficult the packet level to realize the network's actually struggling that there's you know the error rates up and that these are repeatedly sent packets oh you know what if i were working in a wireless environment people are complaining you know if i have the metageek products i'm going to run those first and foremost and just get the whole idea of okay what kind of interference have i got what kind of overlapping have i got i want to know that first then I go over to the packet-level environment. Now, for me, I use the air PCAP adapters because I know they can pick up all the traffic on any channel I want. And then I sit as close to the user that's complaining in the wireless environment. Same thing I did in the wired environment. I'm going to sit as close to Fred as possible. I want to feel the pain from Fred's perspective, not right. from 30 feet away. Yeah, And I'm not going to jack up my system with a big antenna because Fred doesn't have that big antenna. So I'm going to sit as close to Fred as I can possibly stand sitting. And then... I'm going to tell Fred, okay, go ahead and start, you know, start working on the network and let me see your screen when you say, you know, your performance is bad because a lot of times, you know, users will say, well, the, the network is very slow and you find that a web page is not loading all of its ads because the browser is set not to load, allow those or we know we've filtered out skankywebsite.com. Right. So I like to see what is Fred's feeling about slowness. And then, once I've got a bunch of his traffic and I'm watching it, he says, okay, this is what I mean by slowness. I look at my screen and I, I'm, first thing I'm looking for is, do I see any orange here? Yeah. Do I see any orange at all? And it's amazing how many times I can start looking at Fred going, okay, right now I bet you're feeling slow down. And he's like, oh, how do you know? How do you know? <laughs> okay, this is it. Now, when I start seeing those retries, the minute I see those retry bits are all set to one at one point, I'm going to go back to my MetaGeek products. I'm going to say, okay, what is happening right now? You can run the two simultaneously, too. What is happening right now on this channel that we are on? What happened? Did we suddenly get a blast of something? Or, you know, sometimes you'll just see that everybody starts getting on the network at the same time. Right. And, of course, you've got contention going on. So You know, we don't see this much anymore in the wired network. I think Gigabit has really obviated saturated Ethernet. But I remember in the 10 uh, base T days when you could bury a network and and when you, we'd go in with Ethereal and you could see that sort of, there was an 80% point where the whole collision detection avoidance thing started taking over the bandwidth. Yeah. Well, and really the biggest thing that I think changed our world in uh, the Ethernet environment, CSMA, CD, was when we went from half duplex to full duplex. Right. Suddenly, you know, we used to spend you know, a week talking to people about, oh, collisions, collision domain and the back off algorithm, all these things, because we were living in this half duplex environment, you know? And then all of a sudden when we went to full duplex, it was like, hey, collisions can happen in the back plane of a switch, but that doesn't happen very often. So suddenly it's like, oh, we really did just completely change our architecture and the performance difference. Even if we went from 10 megabit half duplex to 10 megabit full duplex, it was a noticeable difference in throughput capability. For sure. Then, of course, we go to 100, then we go to 1,000, and it's like, wow. Yeah. And, and, now, then, now we're and, talking... then we say, and then we say, now let's do wireless. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a shock as that we get back to those old problems. The only place that I'm seeing switches really strain is very busy websites where we're still getting into 
where, where you're actually using a significant portion of the total bandwidth of a switch. And you finally yeah. see that stress again, but it, it doesn't, it, it in, I find in regular workstation environments, it's just not an issue. They, the machine is slower than the network now. It, absolutely. You know what? That's what we're finding. We're finding that the, the local systems that have been, that have not been updated forever are sitting there and they're getting bogged down or they've got older applications on their system. They're not pulling data out of the buffer fast enough. Our networks are flying fast and it's, it's the endpoints that are the problem. And then at TechEd, I've got a session where I'm going to be talking about um, death of a network. It's all this death of series. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to be really finger pointing at one of the things that a lot of companies have done, which is to upgrade their infrastructure devices to the point that they have killed their network. You know, we've got, when you say a switch, you know, a switch, it should be almost wire speed forwarding. I mean, it's, those things are fast. They're yeah. layer two boxes. But then you sit there and you go, ah, but I was told if I change it to a layer three, a, a cross-dressing switch, now I can do layer three communications. Oh, and not only that, it's got IDS capability built into it. It's got QoS built into it. And as they've been improving the level of sophistication in their infrastructure, what we're seeing is the performance level from the endpoint is is really tanking. And now we've got, oh, at TechEd, I'm going to go through this one nightmarish situation that companies have no idea that this is taking place right now unless they're looking at the packets. They're just seeing that things are starting to feel like they're getting a little bit slower. And what you're seeing is you're seeing the TCP IP stack that's been enhanced at the endpoints. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting on a Windows 7. Same thing with Vista. You know, I've got some capabilities that are now turned on by default. Right. Advantage of what TCP can do. Well, these infrastructures in the center are saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you take advantage of that because I don't understand it yet or I'm not set to use it yet or I have bugs on it. So as you go through me, I'm going to just turn that off. You're talking about the sliding MTU, aren't you? Oh, part of it is that, yeah. That was the one it, of the meanest things Microsoft ever did. When that first shipped in Vista, there yeah. was all kinds of network devices that just blew up because they were yeah. they were fixed at 1534. Yeah. Well, you got that. You've also got uh, window scaling being enabled at the end devices, and you've got infrastructure devices that literally during the handshake will remove that option. Yeah. You suddenly look at a packet from a from a client that's come all the way through this lovely infrastructure that's a billion dollar infrastructure, and you look at the TCP options, and all you see is this: no op, no op, no op, no op. No, it's all null. It's all filled with nulls, and you know that that's impossible. TCP doesn't allow you to have all these nulls in a row. So what was it at the beginning? And you find that you, you got your Windows 7 box that sent this packet out and said, I want to do Windows scaling and I want to do selective acknowledgement. And you have an infrastructure device in the middle that said, uh, no, 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 no. I'm going to strip all that out. They actually pick up the packet, open I mean, not only the IP header, but they go into the TCP header of the handshake and say, ah, it's a handshake. I don't like these options. I will strip them out. I will recalculate the TCP header checksum. I will send it to IPE, another checksum, then on to the next network, whatever it is, with the new header, and move it on. You, it's just unbelievable the effect that it's having, and it's just hideous that it's literally taking our improvements in TCP that have been taking place over the last six to ten years, and it's bringing us back to where we were. We might as well go to a 10 megabit per second network yeah. because... When you start doing high throughput and you lose a packet, without this functionality, 
you might as well be on 10 megabits per second because you're going to nail the network with unnecessary communication. It's just, oh, oh, it makes me so upset. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the other side of this is the IP. If we're going to play in the layer three, we really need to start thinking IPv6 anyway because all our new well, machines have this stuff turned on by default. That's right. You know, and, and I still go to customers where they've got IPv6 traffic flowing all over their network just because... At the endpoint, it's enabled by default, but right. in their infrastructure, they are not using it all. No, and, and, and so they're they're not using it. So what they need to do is they need to you know you need to make a decision. You say, okay, you know what? Um, it's like the old IPX and TCP/IP world. You, yes. know, you go to companies and you say, oh, you migrated to TCP/IP, then how come all your printers are spitting out IPX and SAP and all this garbage? No, no, no. You you make a conscious decision to work on one platform uh, or one protocol stack or the other protocol stack. And when you're in one protocol stack environment and you begin the migration, you begin it section by section through your network. You know, you don't you don't just throw the whole thing out there and you know go to lunch and hope it all works. You, know, you have to be in control of your network. Don't let your network control you. Take control of it. And and companies just don't really know what's flowing through their network. You know, if they could see all the garbage that's flowing through their network and you know the junk that's unnecessary, cleaning that up really helps. They, they put all this money into all these infrastructure devices and upgrades and this and that and you know, just clean the garbage off of there. So, I mean, this is one of the things I think Wireshark would do outstandingly well is just recognizing how much IPv6 traffic you have going across your network that you're basically unaware of. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is it's so easy to make an IPv6 color filter. So let's say you want to make that a purple color. So as you're moving around, whether you're on the wireless network or the wired network, you want to know where your concentration is of IPv6 traffic. And just cruise around the network, and you'd be able to see it. it would all come up in this in this purple color. I really believe in colorization to bring things up to people. It makes it so much easier to work and see things really easily. Well, it's, it sounds like that's the main thing with uh, Wireshark. So what do we, if for folks who want to get involved with Wireshark, how do they get started? All right. Well, there's, first of all, Wireshark is, is open source. Uh, you can download it. You can just simply go to Wireshark. Dot org, and you'll see the little download button in the uh, upper left-hand corner. I would tell people, you know, go grab it. Just download it. If you're on a Windows system, it'll automatically install WinPCAP, which is the Windows Packet Capture Driver for you. The installation is simple, 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 standard installation. And then just bring it up and look at the interfaces listed and click on one and say, well, let's just start capturing something. And then do something simple, you know, web browse. But realize that when you look at your traffic... Just because you're only web browsing does not mean that you don't have a ton of other communications happening in the background, such right. as, you know, your browser's going to be going out and checking um, the validity of certain sites, or you've got your virus detection updating, or you've got another process in the background. So start a simple system, only bring your browser up, and then just do something. Stop, look at that. And then over on the Wireshark Book website, if they go to wiresharkbook.com, I've got a set of six videos out there that are really the starter videos for Wireshark. You know, what is analysis about? What can you do with analysis? Let's start capturing some traffic. Let me just take you through the process really quickly and what some of the gotchas might be in capturing. And then let's test your adapter. You know, let's, let's uh, create something called a profile so you have, you can customize Wireshark. You know, it's just, it's just really the basics. And there's, I think, well over 300 trace files for them to play with. Actual packet captures of, you know, this is an FTP session. This is, uh, an HTTP session. This is DNS when it went well. This is DNS when it didn't go so well. 
So there's a lot of practice files for them to go grab if they don't want to, you know, just live on their own network environment. And I should mention that before people start capturing the traffic, they should have the appropriate authorization to do so, so that they don't get in trouble um, at their company uh, by listening into traffic without that authorization. So it's just it's just one of the things as an IT uh, staff member, you just have to make sure that you're covered for that. Yeah. There, is there any legal issues around this? You could accidentally <laughs> grab stuff you really shouldn't be looking at. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean. Um, it is not legal to go and uh, listen into someone's traffic if there's an expected uh, right to privacy there. And in a number of companies, they will have a, uh, a corporate policy against this type of um, packet capture. And they'll, they'll typically define it as wiretapping. Right. Um, you know, it's digital wiretapping. And they'll say, you know, this is not allowed anywhere on the network. So you really need to make sure you cover yourself. And you probably don't want to go to... Um, you know, up to to some company and say, hey, you know what? I listened in on your wireless traffic while I was in the network and did, or in the parking lot. And did you know that you've got all this uh, this unencrypted traffic? That's that's definitely going to get you some some new friends in prison at some point. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you also get reminded of how much of internet traffic is all clear text, all that email, all those websites, like all that stuff is clear. Anybody yeah. can look at it. That's right. And you know, there is an argument that let's say I go down to a to a Starbucks coffee, and they've got an open wireless network for people there. I'm listening in. Do they have an expected right to privacy? Well, not really, because they're literally standing on a street corner and shouting their conversation with someone else. Right. Um, and I can't, I can't believe how many companies do not understand how many of their communications are clear text, like you said. It's, it's really surprising on the wired network as well as the wireless network. You know, it, it's shocking sometimes when a company says, well, let's see, can you get our payroll information? It's like, well, let me listen. I'll listen for a little bit. It's like, no, I can't get your payroll information, but I can get all the tax deduction amounts for everybody so I can give you a pinch of everybody's uh, payroll. But, uh, you know, people just, the, the best way for security, you know, the best way to know what's going on and, and whether somebody can listen into your traffic and understand it, you listen in first. You better be the first one. Right. Laura Chapel, I think we're about out of time. Well, you guys, it's been great talking to you, Richard and Greg. That that was a lot of fun. Well, thanks for so much for coming on the show. I'll see you at TechEd, too. You bet. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.